The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Spirit Matters, where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Welcome, everyone, to Spirit Matters. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Phil Goldberg. And if you're uh, looking for my former co-host, Dennis Ramundi, uh, <laughs> you should know that uh, I now do the show myself on this new platform, but uh, the archive of 300 or so interviews on the old Spirit Matters can be found at spiritmatterstalk.com. So enjoy those. And... Uh, now, in this new version, we continue the tradition of interviewing interesting and wise people who can help you along your own path. And today's guest is uh, no exception. It's Kut Bloxen, a very highly popular and award-winning speaker, transformational teacher, who's appeared on countless events all over the world. Kut's stated mission is, quote, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. He's the author of two books. One is You Are the One, and I, I paused after each word because there's a period after each word in the title. And his new book, which I'm eager to talk about, called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. Welcome, Kut. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by your background. You have a unique multicultural, multiracial, multinational background, born in Ghana. You were doing uh, public speaking at a ridiculously early age, from what I read. Uh -huh. And um, so I'm curious about your own personal path. Maybe you could fill in our listeners about your own spiritual journey and, and how it began. 
and uh, how it got to sure. where we are now. Yeah, look, I was I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father is was Ghanaian, is Ghanaian, he passed away. My mother is Japanese, she passed away. <clears throat> um, I grew up in London, grew up in the UK, and I've uh, lived in the US for 20-some years now. So I feel like a citizen of the world, you know, from everywhere and nowhere, everything and nothing, which has been a, a real blessing in many ways. But as a kid, I, I really grew up with, without this sense of belonging because I didn't feel like I was black, I was white, I was Asian, I was British. I was like, what the hell am I? You know, and so I think that that sort of lack of having a sense of, you know, identity really drove me deep inside of myself to start questioning without understanding what I was really questioning, but a deeper question of like, who am I? And what am I? And what is the, what is my nature if I'm not this and I'm not that when everyone else seems so set in their ways? And so that started a deep soul searching at a young age. And so, um, you know, also at, at a young age, I was a very empathetic kid. And so I would feel people's uh, pain very deeply. I felt people suffering very deeply. There was a part of me that always wanted to alleviate suffering in some way I didn't know what that would look like I would meet you as an example as a seven-year-old six-year-old and I just I would feel things you know and I couldn't explain it and 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 I just it was hard and and so uh that that also I think inspired a sort of quest and searching to try to understand life and the nature of life and why we're here and what's the purpose of life and where do we come from and why are human why why are we the way we are and why do some people who seem to have every reason to be happy why are they miserable and why do some people who seem to have no reason to be happy why are they happy and and so this began a questioning and so at a young age i think one of the foundational shall we say experiences of my life was i remember seeing I remember I must have been about age seven, age eight, seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up this, the gravel that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. So I'm lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa, and she's crawling and thousands of people around and she literally grabs the sand, like a story that seems like out of the Bible. You know, she literally picks up the sand that this guy walks on, wipes it on her face, stands up. The whole crowd erupts. I'm this chubby little kid lost you mean, in the crowd. You mean what the is, sand? You mean the sand the that the man had walked on? The sand that the man had walked on. The man ah. was just walking. There was a thousand people around. Ah. This crippled woman is calling, you know, kind of being trampled by the crowd. She picks up the sand and she stands up. And I'm like watching this whole scene, like <laughs> trapped in the crowd. So this was a miracle. And so a lot of people say, and so I grew up seeing many miracles. Blind people see and deaf people hear. The same man whose hand she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Stand up. But I haven't walked in 10 years. Do you believe in the power of, of you know, God, of the divine? Yes. Then why are you sitting down? Stand up. And they would stand up. And so I grew up seeing Blind people see and people come in with, in with crutches and walk and incurable diseases being cured. And so this man was my father and, <laughs> and, and he was considered like a, a miracle man of Africa. He was a um, spiritual teacher, guide to presidents and kings and heads of state. 
he was, I call him like an, an African Siddha, you know, an African Siddha yoga, yogi type of guy. He was a cross between uh, <laughs> T.D. Jakes and <laughs> Muktananda, right? Uh, uh-huh. You know, and, and, and Ernest Holmes, you know, he's a cross between these sort of three people. And, and so I was very blessed, to be honest, you know, to, to grow up, to be born into a tradition. By the time I was born, my father had gone to India in the 60s. And he had, so, so my father built 300 churches, imagine, right, by the 60s. Mega following. Uh, in Ghana. And, and he, in Ghana, right? Like maybe a million people at, at the height. By the time I was born, maybe hundreds of thousands. And so he went to India in the 60s, had a kind of enlightenment experience, literally, in, in the Himalayas. Didn't tell anyone because he had these churches. So my father became very mystical, very mm-hmm. metaphysical. So I'm looking at your bookshelf behind you, for those that can't <laughs> see. Phil has a bookshelf behind him, and I see Yogananda. I grew up reading Autobiography of, of a Yogi when I was 11 years old because I'd go to my father's bookshelf, and he had a bookshelf literally thousands of books and i would sneak into his office and pick up autobiography of a yogi joseph murphy neville goddard you know madame blavatsky good jeff you know osho uh uh books on muktananda i am that nisigadatta maharaj all the maharishi mesh yoga romana maharishi so i grew up reading these eastern sort of krishnamurti type books but also i grew up reading as a kid and so this became my obsession to try to understand like who am I and why am I here and why is there so much suffering on the planet? And I feel people's pain so deeply. What do I do about this? And so I didn't, I wasn't really conscious. It was just internal drive. Then I found on my father's bookshelf, Louise Hay and Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra and, you know, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. And so <laughs> this became my, my, you know, imagine it's eight, nine, 10 years. My first self-help book was uh, Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain, you know, this yeah. now it's become a popular thing, right? As you know, but you've been even in the game, I'm sure. I'm older. Decades. <laughs> and so this is before the, the secret was a thing. I mean, they were talking about, you know, creative visualization. You've got to see it. If you can see it and believe it, you can achieve it and create it and the power of the creative mind. And so when I was eight, these concepts like, whoa, I'm, my, my, my thoughts have power and my feelings have energy. It was a revolution. And, and so as a young kid, I started meditating as a young boy because I'd read Autobiography of a Yogi and I was I would try meditating, even though I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And so I would go to school. I would do my homework. I would come home and two, three hours a night, I would read and meditate and do all these kind of spiritual practices just to sort of see what would happen. And and this became my path. And and so at eight, at age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. So that's when my speaking career began because my father one day just threw me in the audience and said, my son's going to speak. That was my father's style. He never prepared you for anything, never trained you. Me and my father barely spoke. He just threw me in the audience and said, speak. And I don't know what happened because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't wanting to do that. I was more interested in playing soccer, to be honest, on a Sunday. But they would sit me on the front row. And so when, my, when they threw me in the audience, Something happened where words just began coming out of my mouth and I didn't know what was happening. I can't claim credit for what was happening, but it was like channeling. What and language so, would it have been? It was I was speaking in English. This oh, was in, in London. English. So yes. Yeah, oh, so you we are to, now in London. We, we went to London when I was three because of a coup. Ah. My father was a spiritual teacher to the president of Ghana at the time. 
They were close. They killed the president. They were looking for my father. Mm-hmm. My father was out of the country. My mother and I were smuggled uh-huh. to London and we couldn't come back, kind of a political wow. asylum. So what does a miracle man do other than do miracles? And miracles started happening in London and he, his, his church exploded in London. And before you knew it, there were maybe four or 5,000 people coming to his church every Sunday in the 80s. It was, was, it, was it a uh, sort of mainline Christian church or no, something? No, you see, you see what, as I was saying, because my father became, had a kind of enlightenment experience, my father's spiritual, and this is why I think I was very blessed, his spiritual philosophy became very much metaphysical. And mm-hmm. so by the time, and, and, but, but, but he would try to translate his teaching for his, for his audience that started with him when he was very old school, you know, but, but, his, but his philosophy shifted, whereby by the time I was born, for me, the understanding was Christ wasn't simply some dude, some guy, some person, right, that died for everybody's sins. Christ was a consciousness, mm-hmm. not just a person. Jesus recognized his true nature, the Christ nature, that we all have the capacity and possibility to realize the true Christ essence within us. And so mm-hmm. this became uh, a foundation for my life. My father became basically kind of a, a Christian mystic metaphysician mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. certain sense, you know. And, and, and so I was very blessed to grow up in this philosophy, grow up reading people like Science of Mind and Ernest Holm and Unity, Charles Fillmore, you know, this kind of philosophy, <laughs> metaphysical philosophy. And so uh, I would, I started speaking you know, once a month, once every few months in my father's church. But when I was 14, I was ordained as a minister. And that's when a whole nother phase of my life began. All of, my, all of a sudden, my father announces to the congregation, my son is taking over my ministry. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, no conversation once again. <laughs> but when it was announced, I knew that this was not my path. Mm. I knew that this was not my trajectory. But the truth is, as a young kid, I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I dared to speak my truth to my father, and I love my father, even though we weren't very close, but he was iconic to me as a kid. You know, I looked up to him. My fear was if I spoke my truth to my father, then I would be alone. I would lose his love. I would be outcast. I would be abandoned. I would lose community. And I think like many of us, we allow fear to hijack our voice. We allow fear to rob us of our own truth expression. The fear is if you know who I really am, if I show you who I really am, you won't love me. And so many of us, we we hide who we are. We we don't share our gifts with the world. We we don't pursue our purpose, and 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 we betray ourselves. And so, I would say for about four years, I went into a deep turmoil, a deep inner question. I became ordained. I was serving my father's church. I was designated the successor to my father's organization. Everybody was happy but me. And through the process of four years, I went through a, a deep inner questioning, questioning like I tried to make myself be what I thought the world wanted to be, only to become more miserable in this process, conflict, mm-hmm. inner depression. And so by the time I turned 18, I had a choice to make. I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could take over my father's churches. I could make everyone happy. But as I look into my future, I saw that if I didn't have myself, 
if I didn't have my authenticity, if I didn't have my truth, what the hell do what the hell do I have? I, I what kind of success is that? And at the same time, I felt I felt something deep in my soul calling me. And this 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 impulse in my soul was calling me to come to the US, hmm. calling me to come to Los Angeles. Specifically, it was going to be, Philip, it was going to be either India because of Yogananda or LA. To me, this was a choice. Where's me, where both, Yogananda went? These were spiritual meccas because <laughs> all of the authors I read about, Marianne, Louise Hay, you know, Chopra, they were all in Southern California. So I thought <laughs> this is the, the place to be yeah. because I wanted to go into this field. And so I felt my soul pulling me to come to Los Angeles. And I think sometimes what your soul guides you to do does not always make sense to your mind. What your soul guides you to do is often not logical. What your soul guides you to do is often not convenient, but I really believe through my own life experience, when you listen to your soul and when you follow your soul and when you're obedient to the nudging and guidance of your soul, you will always be guided in the right place at the right time with the right people, even though it may not make sense at the moment. And so I knew in that moment what I had to do, which was leave everything behind. I basically renounced everything. And I knew I had to have that conversation with my father. And so I had that conversation with my father, which was terrifying and scary. Uh, took me four years of grieving to prepare for that conversation because I knew the ramifications. Uh, longer story short, my father and I, we didn't speak for two years. When, wow. I, when, I, when I told him about that, I'm not taking over, but I love you. We didn't speak for two years. And I ended up winning, literally winning, a green card in the green card lottery. That's what enabled me to come to the US. And that's when I knew that my soul had its own agenda and that there was an intelligence of life that was guiding me, that was bigger than myself, bigger than my ego, bigger than my mind. And so part of my life has been endeavoring to follow that impulse and that guidance each step of the way. And then I came to the U.S. with literally $1,000 in my pocket, you know what in the country, um, <laughs> two suitcases, showed up at Los Angeles, went to sleep on Venice Beach, literally, and <laughs> began the process of trying to find teachers and mentors. And many of the folks I read about, studied with, went and found many of the folks I read about as a kid. And then after a few years, I got to the point where I was tired of reading the books, I was tired of reading someone else's information as great as it was. Like I wanted to know the truth for myself. There was a few sort of series of events that led up to that, but I got to the point where I was in my car screaming, going driving down to San Diego saying, God, I, I want to know you. Like I want to know what truth is. And then I heard a voice that said, travel. Like I went to walk the Camino Literally, I packed everything in storage. And this is where things in my life really shifted. I packed everything in storage, sold off everything, broke up with my girlfriend. I made a, a decision that I was not, I would not come back to America until I found certain answers for myself. And so I ended up going and walking the Camino in northern Spain for a month. Ended mm -hmm. up in Thailand studying with some, uh, some, some monks. Ended up in Israel meeting some rabbis hanging out in Israel following the footsteps of Jesus. Ended up in India, and that's when in India certain things opened up for me as I was in India for three, four months that kind of cracked me open to a, 
another level of my own yeah. self. And, and and then I came back to the US and began sort of, you could say, coaching people 20 years ago that's as a young great. kid. Anyway, that's the short version. And now all those people you read are endorsing your books. It's uh, it's uh, it's very humbling. <laughs> that's great. Uh, now, you talked a lot about your father. Yes. Before we get into the subject of surrender and your new book, in the early uh, section of the book, you talk about your mother yes, and yes. the impact that her passing had on you. So yeah. tell us about that. Look, for me, my mother was everything to me, honestly. Now, I know that some of us, maybe many of us, you know, we weren't fortunate in this lifetime to have a mother that we felt truly loved us and we all have our challenges with our parents, but maybe it's my good karma. I don't know. But but in this life, I would say that my mother was, I know true love because of my mother. And that was, you could say, God's grace in my life. And she raised me. She was, she gave me everything she had, you know, and, and, in 2016, end of 2016, uh, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. I was on a high after my first book, You Are the One, was a bestseller. I just got off, I'll never forget, I just got off the Larry King show, who was an icon for me as a kid. Uh, and I think it was the next day I got a phone call saying, your mother has stomach cancer. Life has a way humbling you. And bringing you to your knees, sometimes in your highest moments, you know. And and so, I basically was living in LA. I began to fly back and forth from LA to London to be with her during her chemo sessions. And once a once a month, I'd fly for a week to be with her. And I was blessed because what started off as the worst year of my life ended up as the best year of my life because I got to spend time with my mother. I got to hold her hand. I got to sit and have tea with her. all the things I didn't make time to do because I was too busy saving the world, you know, trying to make an impact on, on humanity. I got to just be with my mother in the most ordinary moments. And it was a true blessing. And I'll never forget about six months, seven months into this process, the doctors finally said to her and I in the hospital, look, there's nothing else we can do for you. So get your affairs in order because, you know, you're going to die. Basically, we don't know how long, but it's you don't have years. Could be days, could be weeks, could be months. We don't know, but it's happening. And I'll never forget this. This is my this gives you the real sense of my mother. Um, a simple Japanese woman that was devoted to serving humanity. Simple, simple woman. But I looked her in the eyes and I asked her two questions. First question I asked my mother was, are you afraid? Like they say you're going to die. I mean, it's easy to feel good when life goes your way, but when you're really faced with your mortality in that moment, it's another it's another ball game. And I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, uh, are you afraid? And she looked me in the eyes and she says, you know, son, I'm not afraid. I said, why? She said, because I know I'm not this body. This body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. And yes, this body will die, but I won't. And I, 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 what I really am, I, my spirit, I'll, I will be with you from the other side. So don't worry. And then I looked her in the eyes because I realized, Philip, that I've been so busy with life that I didn't make time for what was important. My mother and family. And 
I was chasing a dream, being a kid coming to America, trying to survive. And, and I wanted to be a good son. So I told my mother, what can I do for you? You know, in your final days, like, where do you want to go? Where, where can I take you? What can I buy you? Like, what do you need? Like, just tell me and I'll do it. And she said to me, there's nothing that I want or nothing that I need. The only thing I want for my life is what God wants for my life. There's nothing else. That's it. In that moment, I knew the secret. In that moment, I knew the code. In that moment, I understood why this little Japanese woman this last year didn't cry, didn't feel like a victim, didn't contract, was happy, was peaceful, was quite neutral to the whole experience. She wasn't attached to living. Mm -hmm. She wasn't attached to dying. She was completely surrendered to the highest trajectory and unfolding of her soul. And that's when I knew that the real secret to life, the secret to freedom, the password to freedom is surrender. And that's what she showed me in her final year, you know, that, that surrender is the password to freedom. I think that surrender, which, you know, as you mentioned, is, is the sort of theme. It's what inspired my book, The Magic of Surrender. Like even, even The Magic of Surrender, it was not the book I wanted to write. It was not the book I planned to write. I wanted to write a whole different kind of book that I thought would be a bestseller, that I thought would be, you know, this fancy sort of sexy idea. And I remember sitting there one day with, with an entire whiteboard full of clever ideas, brilliant ideas, I thought. But if I was honest, none of those ideas felt true, aligned, authentic. The only word that I felt true was the word surrender. And I had to surrender to the book about surrender. And I had to realize that there was, the book had a soul of its own. And my job was not to write the book, but to get myself out of the way so that the book that was seeking to be written could flow and unfold. And I realized I was just a vessel for the book, you know? And, and so when that happened, that's when everything fell into place. All the elements came together and it taught me a lot. So I remember in that moment when I realized I surrendered to the book I'm supposed to write is Surrender. My entire life flashed in front of me. The way I was you know, brought up by my parents, how they met, you know, literally proposed, my father proposed to my mother without ever having seen her. And she said, yes, totally surrendered. My entire childhood, my entire, everything about my life started to make sense. And I began to see that when I looked at the great ones, those that I really was inspired by, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, Martin Luther King, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, you know, even some of these folks, none of whom are weak people, at some point of their life, they all got to the point where they had to surrender. They all got to the point where they surrendered themselves. They surrendered themselves. In that surrender, they transcended their human limitations and that's when I think life, you know, this divine intelligence of creation, source, intelligence, innate intelligence, God, whatever we want to label it, that's when life began to manifest through them and use them and, and, and speak through them. That's when I think miracles happen. And so when I really began to see through the example of my mother that she was showing me the power of surrender her entire life, but I wasn't looking because yeah, she's just my mother. But in the final years of her life, year of her life, I saw the power, not just the power on a mountaintop in the Himalayas, but in, in real 
everyday life, you know? And I, and I think that in our culture, and, and I, I would say I was one of these people, we have this idea that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender is, you know, is, is giving up, is waving the white flag, that if you surrender, you're going to get left behind, you're going to be a doormat, you're going to be used and thrown to the side. If you surrender, you won't make it in this world. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams and desires. Um, if you surrender, you're going to get less. I'm actually saying if you truly understand the real essence of true surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more? More, more than you could even have imagined with your conscious logic and ego's capacity. Anyway, I'll stop there. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24 through 26, at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Thank you for all that. You you've anticipated a lot of the questions I have written down. So I'm going to backtrack just a moment because you touched on this, but I want to I want to bring it out a little further. When we hear the word surrender, we're used to hearing it um, in a movie where someone says, "Come out with your hands up." You're giving up your you're relinquishing your power in that moment to uh, essentially be punished or to lose. Surrender means loss. You're giving up. So in using that word, you probably knew this, you know, that you would be facing those um, yes. impressions about what the word means to us here, especially in America. But you chose to use it anyway. And now, you know, that puts you in this position of essentially redefining it for yes. people. So yes. tell us um, how you came to surrender, to using the term surrender, and knowing what it was, uh, uh, what you were in for. Yeah, you... look, I went through that internal struggle. I was like, oh, I don't want to write about surrender. Oh my God, you know, it, my ego was struggling because I <laughs> because of exactly what you said. It's like, it's a thing that we know we should do, sort of, like going to the dentist. We know we should go, but we resist it, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so I just had to be honest with myself. I had to look myself in the eyes and what I had to do was be very honest with myself and that honesty was I could manufacture a topic I could manufacture a book I could manufacture a clever marketing gimmick but the energy the force the integrity the power the shakti the the, the frequency was charged with this word surrender and I just have to say, if I am, if I take everything aside, if I am really honest with myself, this is where the energy of life is going. This is where 
the universe is pulling me. This is what is true. If I'm going to look myself in the eye, what is true? And all of the radars were going to this surrender theme. And so it just took me being honest about that. Like I could lie to myself and just say, no, I'm going to do this book. But when I was honest, and when I and when I allowed myself to feel deeply, the energy was here. And it was scary because I thought, wow, people are going to resist. And, and, and that's when I saw, look, there's going to have to be this redefinition of surrender. You know, like, okay, just, just so we can set the context. Surrender is a letting go of control. Or I should say the illusion that we were in control in the first place. <laughs> surrender right. and, and control is the master addiction. There's so much in life that we really are not in control of. I think if you look at the last three years, it's like we've been thrown into a surrender seminar as a humanity and, and this divine intelligence is kind of course correcting us as a humanity and, and forcing us to evolve to remind us like you you as a human species thought you were in control, but maybe you're not as in control as you thought. And and, and it feels as though the last few years has just been a spiritual evolution for us as a humanity to let go and surrender. And so surrender is a letting go of control. Surrender is a... For the sake of our listeners who are listening to this sometime in the future, yeah. it's it, we're ta- we're um, speaking at the end of May two thousand twenty three, and the three years he refers to are the years of the pandemic. Pandemic, yes. <laughs> go on. So, so re- surrender is a letting go of how you think life should be, how you think you should be. Surrender is when you stop trying to force and manipulate life to be what you think it should be based on your limited ego's capacity to see life and understand. And, 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 and it's when you allow yourself to flow. You, so, you see, I think the old paradigm way of living and manifesting is all about know what you want, get clear on what you want, and make it happen by all means necessary. The thing is this. A life that is created from the ego, I'll be honest, you can create life from the ego. It is possible. You can create a good life from the ego, but it will be limited because the ego itself, that which we mistakenly perceive ourselves to be, is conditioned from past experiences. And so the ego's perception is not able to see the totality of life, all levels of experience. And so when we create life from the ego, what we create will often be limited. And sometimes you achieve what you thought you wanted in life only to realize that what you thought you wanted was not what you really wanted. It was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And many times our goals that we project from the ego, I got to have this car. I got to live this career. I got to write this kind of book. The goals that we project, that we then spend our entire life pursuing is often a projection of unmet needs from childhood. I didn't feel enough. So if I can just live this kind of thing, achieve this thing, then I'm going to be enough. And, and so in the, the sort of redefinition of surrender, there's a different question that I'm inviting people to ask. And that question is not, what do I want? This limited sense of I, ego, self. The question is, is a more infinite question. The question becomes, what is it that life, what is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that the divine is seeking to express through me? What is the deepest truth 
that is seeking to express through me? What is the deepest impulse that is seeking to express through me? And I think part of our role becomes to tune in, ask the question, to tune into that, to feel that, to align with that, to listen to that, to be obedient to that. Then when we can catch the vision of this deeper intelligence that is expressing through us all, but most of us, we're so busy identified with our ego selves and what we think should be happening that we're we're kind of not listening to the deeper expression of life, to the deeper creative intelligence, to the deeper sort of inspiration that is seeking to happen. So I think when we can catch that vision, that's when we can align the ego and the personality and the strategy and the marketing and the thinking and the resources and the money to support the sort of aligned integrity of our soul's truth. You know, I think, so that to me, that's the key. Then we start living in flow with life, in sync with nature. And I think that's when we're, we're truly in flow and living in surrender. And so part of surrender is that willingness to allow, and this is a shift I had to make. Part of surrender is the willingness to allow life to lead you. Life to show you. And I think you start seeing that life has an intelligence. Life has its own rhythm. And if you're willing to be still and not just project ego and project what you think should be onto life and you, you're open, you're available, you're curious, you will feel life has a certain energy. Life sort of moves in a flow. And when you can sort of see the flow of where life is moving and, and, and catch that flow and allow life to show you, that is, I, I would say, living surrender. When we think of the word surrender, we think of surrendering to something, letting go into something beyond our own ego. In certain spiritual circles, mm -hmm. um, sometimes surrendering means a kind of obedience to trust completely in a, a human teacher, a guru, figure no, and to that. surrender to them how do you feel about that kind of surrender and the uh... yeah so so i think we have to get this straight any true guru that tells you to surrender to me i don't think is a true guru because a true guru as i'm sure you know guru meaning someone who destroys ignorance destroyer of ignorance so the true guru is a vibrational representation of what you truly are. The true guru is not a physical person. The true guru is not a human. The true guru has accessed the consciousness that is the deeper reality that we all are and is a reflect and is not identified with their form. So when we surrender to a guru, I would say don't mistake it that you're surrendering to Shri Shri Bhagavan, so and so, you know, you know, Guruji <laughs> persona. Now, many of us, because we're in our ego, we are mistakenly surrendering to another ego. But what you're surrendering to is not the person. You're surrendering to the consciousness that they are embodying. That really is your own consciousness. And so, in a sense, you're surrendering to yourself. That's it. You know, and, and so I would say a true guru is not pointing you to them. They're pointing you to the deep, the true consciousness that they 
are that you are, that we all are. That's it, you know? And, and, and so the guru is not separate from you. The guru is what you are. The guru is your own truth, your own essence. And, and so, you know, I think surrender, you could say what we're surrendering to is not something other than ourselves. We're surrendering to our true selves. What we're surrendering is to our deeper truth. We're surrendering to uh, the, the authentic impulse. We're surrendering to the divine in us. The challenge is this. I say surrender is our natural state. If you look at a child, a child is surrendered. A baby is surrendered. Newborn baby, <laughs> they're surrendered. They shit when they feel like shitting. They cry when they feel like crying. They laugh when they feel like laughing. They, they, they hit their head. They cry. They're over it. You know, then they're giggling. Meanwhile, here we are holding the baby, still upset that they were crying two hours ago, but they're like totally spontaneously in the moment surrendered to the now. That's it. And so, you know, the Bible says in order to end the kingdom of heaven, you must be like a child, the innocence of a child, the curiosity of a child. And, and, and so surrender is our true nature. It's what we are. The challenge is, it's the ego that resists surrender. It's the ego that is resisting surrender. Ego simply being that which we identify as myself, that which we mistakenly believe ourselves to be based on name, body, form, identity, history, you know, traumas, past experiences, memories that we hold onto for a sense of me. So when we say surrender, for the, the degree to which we are identified with ourselves as me and so much of life and religion and society and media and social media and advertising constantly is reinforcing your sense of identification with you as this mind-body limited, limited mechanism. You could say the, 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 the media powers of be, you know, advertisers, they don't want you to know who you truly are, what you truly are. The truth being that you are an infinite, infinite being. But they but but you could say the media advertisers, you know, TV retailers want you to believe you are just little, little limited mind, body, flesh of sack of bones, and that you're limited and that you're born and then you're gonna die. Because when you know. When we know who we truly are, that we are pure, infinite consciousness manifested into this human experience, that we are consciousness, you know, sort of manifested as a multiplicity of form, then we're truly powerful. The sense of fear starts to drop away because we know who and what we are. So there is a, I kind of say this jokingly, there is a conspiracy that you, we don't know who we are because when we know who we are, we access a deeper power. We access a deeper truth. We access a deeper energy. And so for me, the surrender is to that. But to the ego, what we believe ourselves to be, what we've been conditioned to believe ourselves to be, surrender to the ego feels like a death. Feels like a death. Isn't a death. It just feels like a death. Because when you know that the very ego that you're identified with isn't even real, then you know that, that that what dies is not really dying. It's just an illusion, right? And so the ego is not a thing. Here is my phone. This is a thing. Here is, you know, my pet chihuahua. Here is a thing. Ego is not a thing. Ego is a process. 
ego is a process of identification. A bicycle is a thing. Pedaling is the process. So the identification is a process. When we start shifting and understanding the nature of ego and understanding the nature of reality, the nature of what we are and what we're not, it changes our entire relationship to ourselves and it changes our entire relationship to surrender. So then the fear of surrender and the fear of death can begin to soften and loosen because we know that what is what it is that dies is not, what is it that we need to let go of dies is not really what we are. And that starts to shift so much for us. And so surrender is our natural state. You know, surrender... The, the other thing I'll just say, it, it, it seems scary for the ego because we're afraid. The ego's job, the ego's perceived job is to reinforce its existence. And the ego's job is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt. So the ego is often an energetic conditioned response to certain things that happened in childhood. You know, needs weren't met. Dad wasn't around. I was abandoned. So we erected all sorts of defense mechanisms to shut down, function, survive, not feel the pain, get certain needs met, beat. We became who we thought we needed to be in order to get love, validation, and approval. We became identified with the version of ourselves that we became ego. And so the ego's job is to protect you from getting hurt like you were hurt. So when you can understand that, part of the surrender is you don't have to fight the ego. Part of it is to develop a whole new relationship with the ego to realize you are not the ego. You are not these patterns. What you are is so much more. Then even if you find yourself resisting, rather than resist that, sometimes you can accept surrender to the fact that you may be resisting right now, knowing that's okay. That can provide some space. Then you can begin to hold the resistance with compassion. And when you can just surrender, like, okay, I'm resisting right now, but I'm not the resistance, and I'm not that which is resisting, then you can hold the egoic resistance with some love, some tenderness, mm. some compassion. Then those sort of ego mechanisms that we used to believe ourselves to be, but now we realize that we're not, can begin to relax and let go and feel safe and open and loosen and loosen, and disidentify, and start falling away. And I think that's where surrender can begin happening and unfolding. This is great. Uh, uh, it would seem to me, and you indicate this, um, that one of the sources of resistance <clears throat> to surrendering on a in uh, circumstances of life uh, is the fear of uncertainty that um, if, if, as you put it, if you hold on to what is not working because you fear the unknown, because if you give something up, there's um, an uncertain unknown ahead of you. And sometimes it feels safer to just yes. hold on to what, what we know and what is predicted. And that's yes, that's the job of the ego, yeah. To protect you. If I if I stay the same, then I'll be safe. If I stay the same and in control, then I won't get hurt again like I was hurt. At least I know, even when we're suffering, 
at least I know the level at which I'm going to suffer. It's safety. And so the ego is well, is well intended. It has a positive intention. And there's a certain amount of trust, I would think, in the act of letting go, the act of surrendering. Oh. What is the trust? Uh, to what are we giving our trust when we surrender? Okay. We talk about trust. I'm going to challenge. I'm going to flip the question, but answer your question while flipping okay. the question. How do we trust? What do we trust? What are we trusting? Yeah, we get into an airplane. We get into an airplane. Sit on the airplane. This iron machine, metal machine, goes freaking like thousands of miles into the air. What the hell is holding it up? Well, it's an engine and it's this. But, but still, what is what is keeping that in the air? And how many of us, we knocked on the door of the pilot and we saw that someone was even flying that airplane? Maybe a monkey is in the cockpit and we don't even know. We have no idea. But we get on the airplane 18 hours. Do we not trust? Oh, yes. Did we screen, did we screen the pilot? Did we check the engine? Did we, did we, no, but we, we, we trust Delta, American, <laughs> you know, Emirates Airlines more than we trust the universe. Wait a second. We trust Philip. We trust Siri more than we trust life. <laughs> Siri, tell me how to get to Massachusetts. Go on the 10 freeway. Okay, I'm on the 10 freeway. How do we know that Siri's telling us the truth? Siri says go left, we go left. Siri says go right, we go right. Siri says we don't even question. Maybe Siri says drive off the bridge, we would go. But the moment, the moment something inside of us says, call Philip. Well, you know, why? Why do I why do I need to <laughs> write that book? No, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know. I don't know if I can maybe I'm not enough. Call that person. We're constantly questioning. And so we talk about trust when what we tend to trust in life is the media, is the news, are our friends, are the BS voices in our mind. We trust. We're just trusting. You know, I don't want to say the wrong things. We're just trusting limitation. So we trust every time. I'm looking at the freeway in LA right now, and people are driving around like it's nobody's business. Now I'm seeing, <laughs> I'm seeing on this road, two cars going opposite directions, nothing in the middle separating them. What would stop somebody from just crossing over into your lane, oncoming traffic, and driving straight into you? We trust. We just exercised our trust in a limited, incorrect way. Right now, you and I are breathing. You and I and those listening, we are on this podcast interview. We're breathing. We're not sitting here going, okay, breathe, 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 breathe. Oh my God, if I don't breathe, something's where well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna survive. Breath is happening. Maybe we ate food this morning. I had a smoothie. This morning, how is it that my hand doesn't turn into a smoothie? There is an intelligence, Philip. There's an intelligence inside of us that knows what to do. It knows how to do it. It knows where to send the organs and the blood flow and the you know the cells and trillions and trillions of cells interacting in spite of us. 
without any of our conscious efforting egos, well, it's just happening. The sun rises. So, so also when we look at life, how do we not trust it? Every day the sun shines. Every day. There's never a day when I woke up 10 a.m. in the morning and it was pitch black. Oops. And I called God up. God said, oh, sorry, I forgot to send the sun today. Every day <laughs> the sun shines. Every day the sun sets. Every day. So to me, life is proof that we can trust it in so many ways. Life is giving us millions of data points that we can trust it, but we choose not to for whatever for, for, for egoic reasons. And so I would say, tune into your breath, tune into your body. Just feel, sense, tune. Get in, we become so disconnected from nature when we are a part of nature. So tune into your body. Notice that your breath is happening without you. And just get into a relationship with what is, what is beating my heart right now. Tune into that. There is an intelligence of life that is beating your heart, that this same intelligence, I promise you, that if you cut your finger, you don't have to be a good person. You don't have to be Yogananda. You could be Pablo Escobar. The same intelligence, if you cut your finger, it knows how to heal you. It knows how to heal you without any special mantras or prayers. What is this intelligence? The more we can surrender to that intelligence, that is inside of us, that is that life force that is inside of us. Call it whatever you will, I don't care. Call it God, consciousness, intelligence, pure beingness, bulla bulla. It's just names. But the more we surrender to that intelligence that is the source of our life, to me, that's when life begins to flow. So tune into your body each day in just five minutes, just reflect. Go into nature, observe nature. I think that's why unconsciously we're, we, we, we all love nature so much because it gets us in touch with something beyond the ego. It gets us in touch with a sense of trustingness, like nature's happening. The sun, the trees, the grass, the animals, the clouds. It's like, what is functioning? And just sit with that. And, and, and I think if we can bring ourselves back into touch with them, we start realizing we are, we are all a part of nature. A, a, a synchronized sort of orchestration of life. What we're surrendering to is life. And we are part of that expression as well. The, the last thing I'll say is, the other thing I'll say is, talk about trust. Yes, part of surrender is the willingness to embrace the unknown and allow life to show you. Yes, that is the case. The degree to which you're able to embrace the unknown is the degree to which you will experience freedom in life. But surrender is what we all want, whether we're conscious or not. We can make excuses, but it's what we all want, and I'm going to prove it. And I'm going to prove in this next minute, this next 30 seconds, it's not about being spiritual. Surrender is for the yoganandas of the world, for the, for the yogis of the world. For No. Surrender is something that is hardwired into all it's hardwired into our physiology. We breathe in. I don't know any person on the planet that breathes in, breathes in, breathes in, breathes. At some point, you got to breathe out. It's like breathe in, surrender, breathe in. So, so, so surrender is hardwired into your nervous system. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Everyone 
is seeking surrender in some way. So I give an example. Those that like to go out, get drunk on the weekends, you might think, well, they're not, they're not into surrender. Yes, they are. Why do we get drunk? We go out, we get, we get, we get drunk. We get drunk so that we can kind of like, I feel more, what do we say? I feel more free. I feel sort of <laughs> loosened from my own sense of self-consciousness. We don't go get drunk so we can be more paranoid. We get drunk so that we can loosen the grip of our egoic identity so we can like access that liquid courage, you know, like, oh, I feel yeah, we're yeah. seeking to, 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 to surrender the grip of our identity. Why do we do drugs? Because like, I'm free of myself. Okay, if people still don't believe me. I want everyone. I know this is a spiritual show, but bear with me. I want everyone to just reflect on your most beautiful, or just a beautiful sexual experience of lovemaking. Lovemaking. You and your lover, husband, wife, you and your lover, Embrace together, kissing, loving, sharing this energy together. What made it so ecstatic for everyone? What made it? See, see, you get what I'm saying. Obvious, what made what made it so ecstatic? Did you come? And I'm challenging anyone. Did you come to the sexual lovemaking exchange with your lover? With an entire notepad, iPhone notepad, business plan. Okay, honey, uh, minute one, we're going to make love. But minute one, okay, I want you to lie down 39 degrees on the bed. Then I want you to, to kiss me exactly 17 times on the cheek. Then at minute two, you're going to do this. Minute three, we're going to do that. Minute four, no. <laughs> what, what happened? We were surrendered. We didn't know what was gonna, what made it so ecstatic, so blissful. Is we didn't know, talk about the unknown. We didn't know what was going to happen. We were just together following the energy, following the flow, exchanging love, love making, life making. We were surrendered. We didn't know. That's why it was so blissful. Imagine every single love making experience you had with your lover. You did the same thing for 50 years, exactly the same way, the same timing. You know, 21.2 minutes every time and everything was the same it would be torture we all want surrender and so I'm saying if this is why what makes love making so ecstatic what if we live life that way what if life became ecstatic and orgasmic and blissful and, and, and just what if we live life that way to me that's when grace flows when we let go. Now, just to just to clarify, it doesn't mean you can't make a plan. It doesn't mean you can't sit and make a plan. But your plans are not overriding your soul. You're first listening to the deepest impulse, catching that vision of what, it, what is life seeking to express. Then your planning is supporting the deep impulse and intelligence of life. And then you go into action. You give 100%. You give everything you've got to the vision, the plan that you've made without attaching to the outcome. That's what I want people to get. I can't think of a better way to end the interview. So I am now going to surrender and 
leave out all the other questions I have. <laughs> and uh, it's been a joy. Uh, Kut, tell us, tell our listeners um, how they can find out more about you and your work, uh, websites, social media, anything you'd like to let them Thank know. You. Thank you so much for being graceful and and uh, asking great questions. It's been, it's been lots of fun with you. A um, couple of ways, yeah, people have enjoyed the conversation. I would first say, get the book, The Magic of Surrender. It's available on paperback, get the paperback version because it's updated on Amazon. Check it out there, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. Number two, if you're inspired by today's conversation uh, I would, and you feel perhaps ready for your next level, uh, some of my deepest work, I do a very special event in Bali. Depending on people listen to this, I do a very special event in Bali. It's a 12-day transformational uh, seminar that is designed to help you free yourself from your conditioning, help you connect to your authentic nature, and help catapult you forward to living your destiny in life, living your purpose in life. You could say it will help you surrender in many ways. It's called Boundless Bliss, Boundless Bliss Bali. Uh, the website is boundlessblissbali.com. Uh, I do this event twice a year. 2023 is my last year doing this event. The next event is July, in July the 28th. The second event this year is in December. Uh, www.boundlessblissbali.com. Find out all the info there. Uh, Instagram, Coop Blackson. Facebook, Coop Love Now. Uh, my main website, coopblackson.com. You can find, find me there. All things that I do on that website and also my podcast is called soul talk ah very good there you have it listeners tune in to uh coot in all these different ways and uh, thank you for listening to us here at spirit matters please subscribe to the podcast tell your friends about it email me with suggestions uh, you can go through my website philipgoldberg.com of course read my books and all the rest, subscribe to my mailing list. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.